Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The light shines on us today from Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth, chapter 7. Paul rejoices and beams with great pride over the Corinthian church because of something unique, a godly grief that led to repenting. Now, you think about when you have pride over somebody or you are overly, overly joyful of them. When's the last time you told someone, I am proud of you and I am joyful for you because you repented? We'll find out more about that today. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. A special thanks this morning to Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us to be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us this morning Pastor Ben Meyer of Hope Lutheran Church in Sunbury, Ohio. Pastor Meyer, welcome to Thy Strong Word. It's good to be with you. Well, um, how was the weather in Ohio? I guess, yeah, to me, it's <laughs> tropical. I mean, you guys are way south of us, so what's going on there? Yeah, it's cold. That's what it is. It's cold, but uh, <laughs> it's not Minnesota cold, but I, there's nice. a reason that uh, there are some of us made to live in Minnesota and some of us that uh, are better off a little further south. So, um, you know, my, my brother's up in Minnesota. I'm thankful that he's there. That's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> well, we say he's in the tundra. He's an hour and a half north of us, which is clearly more cold than us. Anyways, oh, yeah. we'll get off of yeah. weather here. But, but Pastor, um, it's been a while since you've been on KFUO. I believe this is your first time on Thy Strong Word. Can you tell us a few things about yourself and the work of the saints at Hope Lutheran? Yeah. Um, I'm a, you know, married, four kids. Uh, I've served congregations in southeast Missouri, uh, Illinois, and now I've been in Ohio for about four years. And uh, Hope in Sunbury has been uh, just a a wonderful opportunity. Um, We are kind of in a rural setting, and so there's a lot of opportunity for outreach um, in, in that context. But the city of Columbus is coming out towards us, and so there's a growing population and an opportunity to to reach people with the gospel uh and w- one of the one of the uh, joys that we've had as well is is partnering with uh an ethiopian immigrant congregation in columbus and being able to have our youth do things side by side and uh that's that's been a lot of fun a uh, lot of a lot of wonderful people here and i'm i'm thankful for uh the ministry i've been able to do here and and in my my congregations previously as well Wonderful, wonderful. Well, today we are um, going into 2 Corinthians chapter 7. As we begin to search the scriptures, Pastor Meyer, can you begin us in prayer, please? Absolutely. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity that you give us to spend time in your word, to read it, to hear it, and in it, to hear of the love that you have for us in Christ. We thank you uh, that we are reconciled through Christ, that we have fellowship with you and with one another in the church. Uh, We pray that you would guide our study today by the Holy Spirit, that we would be strengthened in our faith, strengthened in our walk with you, and and strengthened in our love for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
reminder to everyone who's listening this morning that if you have any questions, you can email us, kfuo at kfuo.org, and we will try to answer that to the best of our abilities according to the clear word of God. Definitely not just, not Pastor Meyer in my opinion, but pointing back to the scriptures and trying to understand how this connects us to Jesus. And we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and I'll, I'll say this, Pastor Meyer, this has been a wild ride for me because 2 Corinthians is one of those books where you read 1 Corinthians, you get to the end of 16, and then usually you go somewhere else. And 2 Corinthians mm -hmm. is one of those that I typically have overlooked, except when it came to stewardship drives or <laughs> speaking about stewardship. Um, what, what's been your experience with 2 Corinthians prior to studying for chapter 7 today? Yeah, I would say very much the same, that it is one that I, I think I've probably overlooked somewhat um, because, yeah, you get all of the uh, the Lord's Supper discussion in 1 Corinthians. You get the conversation about divisions in the church. There's just so much in it. And for whatever reason, uh, 2 Corinthians uh, hasn't had nearly as much uh, focus. Uh, but it's been enjoyable listening in on the previous uh, studies that you've had, being able to hear some of uh, our, our brother pastors bring uh, the, the Word of God to us and uh, better understand, better better know what's going on in uh, 2 Corinthians. And, and I was surprised in my study. I guess I had never realized how close together 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians were in, in mm. when they were written. Uh, in, in my mind, I guess I had thought there were years in between, but the reality is one seems to have been written kind of in the spring and, and the other um, kind of in the fall. Uh, and so it, you're, you're only talking about a, a separation of a, of a period of months, and there's a lot that happens. Right. Absolutely. You got Titus, you got Macedonia, you got all these things that we'll be talking about, especially <laughs> yeah. today. Um, so give, is there any background or introductory things you want to start us off with? One one of the things that really stood out to me in, in chapter seven is the the reality of what it's like to be a part of a congregation, and it can be messy, and it can be challenging, and it can be hard, but it can be so so good as well. And there's there's this temptation I think when things are difficult in a congregation to want to pack up and go, and we see in chapter seven here how wonderful it is when, you know, the fruit of the spirit, you know, being long suffering with one another, when we forgive one another, uh, there is true joy that comes about because of that. That's exactly right. Cause you have the, the ministry of reconciliation um, discussion in chapter five. Um, you have a ministry of a new covenant. I mean, he speaks a lot about those joys, which he'll talk about even more today. In 1 Corinthians, kind of seemed like it talked about more of the frustrations, <laughs> but we get to chapter <laughs> 7, and his focus is definitely on yes. more joy. So let's let's dig in here, Pastor, and let's look at just verse 1. We'll start there. I heard one pastor write about this is the, this is the linchpin of 6 to 7, um, and to really think about the transition that Paul makes. So let's read verse 1, and reminder to our listeners, this is uh, from the English Standard Version. Paul says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, 
bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So he says the word, since we have these promises, what is he mm. pointing to here? Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's those things that you've been covering in those previous chapters. We have reconciliation uh, and, and the ministry of reconciliation, but, but you know the reality that we have been reconciled to the Lord. Uh, we have the promise of resurrection life. We have the gospel, the good news that uh, we do have forgiveness in Christ. We have the, the new covenant. Um, so all of these uh, blessings that precede chapter 7, all of these promises that are ours in Christ, and, and uh, it's, it's very much like what we have in, in Exodus 20 with uh, the giving of the Ten Commandments. Before God gives the Ten Commandments, what does he say? I, the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Uh, and so Paul here is able to say, because all of these things have been done for you by Christ, in Christ, because these promises are yours, what now, right? Now here's what we're going to do. We're going to cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. So physical and spiritual sin. Um, and we want to live in the holiness that we've been called to in Christ. Well, it's interesting, too, this understanding of cleanse ourselves. I think this makes us a little bit nervous as Lutherans. Yeah. Like, well, how does yeah. that look? But then, like, for example, and I want more of your thoughts with this, you have Galatians 5, you know, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And mm -hmm. so, you know, yeah, so you have other thoughts on that? How do we cleanse ourselves? I mean, obviously it's true. It's other parts of Scripture. But what? how does this work? <laughs> Yeah, and this is very much what we have in the Catechism, in mm. uh, the section on Holy Baptism, that by daily contrition and repentance, the old man should be drowned and die, and a new man emerge and arise to live before God in, in righteousness and purity. This is, this is what we do when we confess our sins. We are cleansing ourselves, and it, it's not that we're doing the cleansing, right? It's it's the Lord doing the cleansing, but our act of, of confessing is, um, you know, how this is being brought about. Uh, and so if we want to be holy, we want to live in holiness, it actually starts with confessing, uh, I don't have any holiness of my own. I need to be clothed with Christ. I need to be forgiven so that I can live in his holiness. Well, and it's interesting, too, that he uses the word bringing holiness completion in the fear of God. Now, I find, mm -hmm. I find it interesting because obviously in the catechism, you know, you just brought that up. It brings that, you know, should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. How would you describe fear of God? I mean, because he kind of, he's, he's bringing this together and saying, cleanse yourself, and he brings it back to the fear of God. What does that look yeah. like? What does that mean? Yeah, and it, it is, you know, an awe of God, a reverence for God, uh, a right fear of God, not, not being... Uh, fearful of God, but understanding God is God and we are not. And the the Corinthians, in part, part of their problem previously had been a fear of other things. You know, they they had feared what other people thought of them more than they had a right fear of God. And so 
when you get the first commandment out of whack, everything else is going to follow. There's going to be a mess that comes about as a result of that. And uh, the, the right fear of God means uh, living with that right respect of him, that right understanding. God is God. I am not. And uh, looking to him, trusting in him uh, and, and understanding that uh, we shouldn't fear any, you know, the, Jesus said, don't don't fear the one who can only kill the body. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we ought to have a right fear of of God as God. I find it interesting, too. You know, I love how you're saying that with, with fear of God. Like, God be God, which is hard because mm-hmm. I want to be God, I guess you would say. Um, <laughs> and so, but that extension of this verse goes back to the previous verses where, okay, so let's let God be God. And what kind mm-hmm. of God do we have? We have a God that will make my dwelling. This is verse 16. I'll make yeah. my dwelling among them and walk among them. Meaning, yeah. and this goes to, I mean, this isn't from Sunday. Um, at least if you're in the three electionary, you have First Samuel where it says, and God stood among him and called him. That was mm-hmm. one of my yeah. uh, foci, I guess you would say, from Sunday. is just God walks among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. So right. this is what our God is and this is who we follow. And then also in chapter two, this was a fascinating thing that I would love to talk more about, but we don't have time is in 2 Corinthians 2, it talks about how we give thanks to God who always leads us in triumphant procession, meaning that that who is this God that we fear is the one who leads triumphantly in front of us and mm-hmm. through us spreads the fragrance of knowledge of him, for we are the aroma of Christ. I was thinking, you know, I want somebody to do a, a paper on this. I keep saying this, but I want somebody <laughs> to do a paper on this. What does it mean to be the aroma of Christ? So what do you think? You want to do this? <laughs> yeah, I mean that is that is a fascinating thing, and I think it's it's speaking of victory here, right? We we right. live in victory. We don't live in defeat, and and right. Christ goes before us as the victor, and you know you have that aroma, um, you know, associated. My my mind always you know will immediately go to um, incense and the prayers going up, um, mm-hmm. but. The, you know, in the Old Testament, God speaks of, of, you know, aroma being a pleasant, you know, aroma to him. And here we have this victory in Christ, and, and we're just going in his procession. We're following him. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a right fear of God. But at the same time, how many times does Jesus say, no, fear not? Fear not. Oh, I know. It's again, so great. And again and again. And he places again. his hand, you know, in, in Revelation, places his hand on John and says, fear not. And, and I, I love that image of the victorious, resurrected, all-powerful Christ. And he's with us, places his hand on us and says, fear not. All right? I've got it. I'm good. I, I, I'm victorious. You have victory in me. Because he's been victorious and we can trust him to walk with us in grace, we can um, therefore cleanse ourselves. I mean, this is the joy of, of repentance. Um, I heard one pastor say that uh, repentance is just like in uh, the prodigal son, where we do not repent outside of God, but we repent like the son did in the embrace of God. Before he could even say a word, the father had already embraced him. And so this is a, a good reminder for us that we cleanse ourselves. We do so not separate from God, but we do so in his embrace. 
So th these are mm -hmm. these are powerful things for, for us to look at. Um, and any last thoughts on that first verse? It really is a transition to Paul's joy. So any last thoughts? Yeah. No, I think let's let's get on to chapter to the to the sec next section because there is a lot um, to cover in that. Okay. Very good. Well, we are in God's holiness, and we fear Him. So Paul continues, "Make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one." We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. Hmm. Well, there's, there's a lot of things here, but I wanted to start with this. Is he says, make room in your hearts for us. We have done nothing wrong, basically, is what he keeps saying. What is he talking yeah. about there? Yeah. Uh, so the, the church in Corinth, uh, as we, if you, if you remember from 1 Corinthians, was a complete mess, right? It was just a, a, an absolute mess. And Paul had been there. He had been with them. And then he has to leave, and he finds out, Oh my goodness! This place is a it is a, is a disaster, and so as a loving um, apostle, what does he do? He he seeks to bring them to repentance. He seeks to bring them back to the right teaching, the right practice, the, uh, walking with the Lord in a way that is faithful. And so he has to send Titus to them, and and we have this letter that we don't even know what it says that goes to them. And it appears that that letter that, that is sent between first and second Corinthians was, was quite harsh. Mm. And so <laughs> Paul, Paul is kind of saying, okay, we, we were not sinning in doing that, uh, but we do want you to receive us. We do want you to welcome us. Um, you know, we we haven't corrupted anyone. We haven't taken advantage of anyone. Apparently, there were some who claimed to be church leaders who were doing those things, who were corrupting uh, others and were taking advantage of them. Um, but Paul says, no, we're, we're in this with you. I, I really love this line hmm. that um, uh, I am— uh, let's see here. Uh, what verse here? I, I do not say this to condemn you, for I said mm -hmm. that before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Right? To mm. you're in our hearts to die together and to live together. That's pretty strong. That's like marriage language, isn't it? That we are in it together. We're gonna die together. We're going to you know, take our stand together. And if we have to die, we're dying together. And as we live, we're going to live as a community together. We're not separated. We're not divided. We're one in Christ. And we're going to live in that reality. So as, as I've received you, I, I'm asking you to receive me, to welcome me. Wow, that's, that's really good because you're, you're speaking about how we're together from beginning to end on this. And Paul, and Paul speaks about this, you know, in chapter three, he talks about, you are my letter of recommendation. And he yeah, uses his heart yeah. language again, where he says, written on our hearts to be yeah. known and read by others. And so it, 
that 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 heart language is he not only says uh, make room in your hearts for us he's saying you have room in my heart for you which is mm-hmm. you know that can be kind of it's kind of hard for us to always understand as as missouri Saint lutherans is like oh the heart oh, i don't know you know jesus says we know it comes out of the heart but we do know the language. We do know the relationship yeah. and the um, love that you have for other people, especially those within your church. I know at my church and uh, during seminary, they would always say, good morning, Bethlehem family was how they spoke. Mm-hmm. And this is totally what Paul's doing here is yeah. you don't you don't tell someone make room in your heart for me, be someone that you just pass on the street with. I mean, this is someone that you deeply care about. And he can tell that the heart had been hurt because he, you know, talks about how there was a painful visit that he had to mm-hmm. make and a painful mm-hmm. letter that was written. And then, mm-hmm. and then he sends Titus in as a district reconciled or figure this stuff out, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's really a lot of what it sounds like. And, and so, yeah, you, you, you know, as a pastor, there are times when you have to speak frankly with individuals in the congregation, or maybe with the entire congregation. And those are not enjoyable conversations to have. They're not, uh, but they're necessary. And the reason we do it is not because we like coming down on anybody. The, the reason to do it is entirely uh, to bring people to repentance and uh, have them reconciled. Uh, the idea is not to create division by having to to speak harshly or to speak frankly, but rather to bring reconciliation. And Paul is understanding. You know, I I had to I had to speak in a way that that sounded sounded harsh. Um, and so you may have felt hurt. Um, and I think it's it's helpful for us within the church to understand. Sometimes we do have to have these conversations with people, and they they may be hurt by those conversations, even though they understand those that, that they're happening out of love. Um, and, and so, saying, "I understand this hurt, but I'm asking you to to still receive me, and I still love you." And and I and I love here too that Paul, after First Corinthians, and after this harsh letter. He's still speaking to them about how he's proud of them, <laughs> mm, mm. you know, how, how much he loves them. And, wow. you know, yeah, they've been a mess. They've done ungodly things. They'd allowed ungodly things, but he still loves them. He still cares about them. He's still proud of them, especially now. He's proud of them because what, though they had been doing those things, there's been repentance and, that repentance has led to to so many good things here. And that's something where we have about just under a minute here is he says these very powerful words that I think we'll have to go through at the end of the break, but I'm acting with great boldness toward you and remind it makes me think a little bit about if he had a painful visit and he had a painful letter that we probably don't have, First Corinthians, if that's the lighter book, I'm wondering what the harsh <laughs> book was like, right? But even after all that, he says, I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. Those yeah. are words I want to touch on a little bit on the other side of our break, but to remind us of those are very powerful, grace 
filled words that he provides for us today. But right now, let's take a break. We are studying 2 Corinthians chapter 7 with Pastor Ben Meyer. We'll be right back. On this Tuesday, January 19th, 2021, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Andrew and Amanda Fondau of St. Louis, Missouri. Andrew and Amanda made a gift to KFUO Radio in thanks and praise to God for the ministries of the Minnesota North District of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Thank you, Andrew and Amanda Fondau, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. Concord Matters is the program where we seek to be of one mind that is the mind of Christ. And to do that, Christ-confessing Concordians read through and discuss the Book of Concord, which is our Lutheran confession of faith drawn from Holy Scripture, so that you too may be of one mind and confess with Christ. Be sure to listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Until we convene for Concord again, keep confessing, church. I'm free to be faithful moderator Kip Allen. In the wake of the violence at the U.S. Capitol, the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty placed a post on Facebook condemning that and other recent violence. But Facebook rejected the post. Center Executive Director Dr. Greg Seltz and I discussed the situation on Free to be Faithful, Wednesday at 2.30 and Saturday at 9.30 on Worldwide KFUO. studying 2 Corinthians with Pastor Ben Meyer as Paul is overwhelmed with joy, overflowing, excuse me, with joy, filled with comfort and has great pride in the people of Corinth. Pastor, for this verse four, I wanted to hear if you had any last thoughts on that before we move on, is Paul's strong language of love for the church of Corinth. It sounds very fatherly, doesn't it? (laughs) I've got this boldness toward you. I'm, I've got great pride in you. I'm filled with comfort. And I love, too, that he uh, he speaks of the comfort he's receiving from them. He's not the only one giving this comfort. He's, he's on the receiving end here. And, and that's more of what he's going to talk about here uh, in the coming verses. But that's, that's what brings this overflowing joy. You know, when you see children grow and become godly uh, and, and start doing things that are very adult in, in the faith, it, it, there's a joy about that. There's a, a pride about that. And you see confirmation students who start actually living out what they've learned as high schoolers and as college students and as young adults. And it's awesome. It's so cool to see and it just brings a smile to the face of a pastor, and they can be a source of encouragement, a source of joy 
uh, to us. And it's, it's wonderful. Absolutely. And that, and that's where let's find out a little more about that joy. Why does he have this joy? So let's continue in verses five through seven. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we are afflicted in every turn fighting without and fear within but God who comforts and comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus and not only in his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced still more. So <laughs> he says, I'm overflowing with joy and now he's rejoicing even more. So it's <laughs> kind of a fun thing. I just noticed there. But he's, he's in Macedonia. Can you give us some background on what's actually happening here? Titus comes. I mean, any, any, um, any background you want to share with that? Yeah, so, so Paul has Paul's kind of been through the ringer. I mean, uh, in his missionary journeys, you know, we hear about the, the hardships he goes through. And physically, this takes a toll on him. And mentally, it takes a toll on him and, and emotionally it takes a toll on him. And um, I think pastors certainly can identify with you know, some of what Paul might be feeling here, where you've been caring so deeply about the, these people and you can't be with them and you're physically uh, just drained. And, uh, and it seems that, that he is just kind of run down. And what does he receive? He receives this wonderful encouragement, this wonderful news from Titus. Uh, he had sent Titus to go and first to deliver this harsh me uh, message, this harsh letter that we, we don't have, and we don't know exactly what it said. But then also to, he sends Titus to deliver this message. Uh, uh, that when he sends him, he they, they receive him, and they they do repent, and they do um, take the right actions, and and I think Paul's been worried about the saints in Corinth. He's been uh, hurting for them. He's been uh, thinking of them, praying about them, wanting to to be with them, wanting to help get them back on the right track, and then here comes. Titus, and he's got this wonderful news to tell Paul, and this news just is so uplifting to him, and it, it is comforting to him. It's encouraging to him. It brings him great joy, and so all of a sudden, you know, Paul, who has, who's kind of feeling at a low point, is feeling this tremendous joy. He's, you know, as you, you mentioned before, you know, I'm overflowing with joy, and then he has even more joy. So <laughs> uh, all of this because of repentance that's happened, because they heard the Word of God, they believed the Word of God, and they repented as the Word of God has called them to do. And one of the unique things, if you know geography, which I, I am continually learning more and more on this, actually it came to mind when it talks about Macedonia, I was recently um, down in Concordia, Missouri, and uh, um, I was there. I was at the restaurant, and the gal, the waitress, I was just kind of said, "So where are you from?" You know, I'm just kind of that kind of guy. Sometimes they get me in trouble, but this one, she was obviously not from Concordia, Missouri. But uh, she 
I said, oh, I'm from Macedonia. I was in Macedonia. And so then I go into this conversation of, oh my gosh, that's Thessalonica. This is Berea. This is Philippi, biblical stuff. Because they had Bible stuff up. And I think she's just like, do you want it? You want cheese on your cheeseburger or what do you want? You know? <laughs> so anyways, but Macedonia is a fascinating place because he speaks about the the downcast, the needing comfort and so forth and affliction. I mean, this is Thessalonica, this is, you know, and Philippi, mm-hmm. both of which did not want him. Berea wanted him, but then Thessalonians came in and got him out, you know. And so this yeah, was not I mean, a, a well. He needed some comfort here for sure. Yeah, he goes. He goes on that on that uh, second missionary journey. You know, things don't particularly go well for him. You know, he first he wants to go to um, Asia. He wants to go to you know what, what we would call Turkey and and you know two different places. And uh, the Spirit of Jesus does not allow him, and the Holy Spirit doesn't allow him. It says, and so then, then he uh, gets this vision to go to, um, uh, to go to uh, uh, Mesopotamia or not Mesopotamia, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he goes to, to uh, Macedonia, uh, Macedonia right. and mm-hmm. and uh, goes to Philippi, and he's thinking there's going to be uh, this this great thing that happens, and he. Uh, doesn't even find ten godly men. There's not even a synagogue there, and right, right. ends up having women come to faith and become great supporters of him. But he he kind of ends up having to leave town because uh, the whole city is is revolting against him. And he goes to Thessalonica, and he he kind of has more of the same. And uh, so yeah, things have been rough. Things have been really really difficult. And here is this congregation that you would probably be the last one you would think would bring encouragement to Paul, but that's right. exactly what they do. Right. You if think you read about it too. Corinthians, you think there's no chance <laughs> that they're going to be <laughs> a source of great encouragement to Paul, but here it is. Here it is. It is. And, and, and that's, that's a beauty. That's the beauty yeah. of God's word too, is that, you have Thessalonica, you have Philippi, both places that were not um, great success, or even Corinth in that sense. But yet those are the letters we have, and the great grace that that Paul gives to that church is just a reminder of there's always um, a chance, if you will, to preach the word, bring law gospel, and God's word will work. So yeah. that, that, that's great stuff. I mean, we look at all this. So any last thoughts on, on um, let's see. I talked about uh, those first few. Any other thoughts on verses five through seven? Well, yeah, we have t- uh, Titus here, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Titus comes, and first he he goes and he's ministering to the people in Corinth, and then Titus comes and he brings this encouragement to Paul, but he also is is kind of ministering to Paul, and Paul ministering to him, and and Titus. Titus is one of those early church leaders, those, uh, one of the first pastors that we know about uh, in, in the Bible. And he is sent for the ministry of reconciliation. At Paul talked about earlier in 2 Corinthians. He wanted them to be reconciled to the Lord. And having then been reconciled, they become reconcilers, right? They become individuals that can go out with that gospel message, that good news, and... Uh, 
by the Holy Spirit working through them, uh, peace is is brought about. But yeah, Titus, um, Titus has an opportunity here to have a ministry of presence, and, and Paul couldn't be with them, but Paul, but Titus is able to go and be with them, and, and it makes me think about you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, his uh, life together, and the joy that Christians have from being with one another. Uh, And we need that. We need that time together. And that's one of the things that's been especially difficult during COVID is not being able to physically gather together and, and encourage one another. Uh, And that's, that's one of the, that's one of the means of grace, you know, that we have in the, the small called articles, the, mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren. Mm-hmm. And Titus is able to have that uh, mutual conversation and consolation with the people in Corinth, and then also bring that good news back with him and do the same with Paul. And and that's something, yeah, you're exactly right. There, there's a lot of similarities of 2 Corinthians, because Paul towards the beginning just talks about how he wants to be with them. The mm-hmm. reason he's not there is not because he doesn't want to be there. It's that he wants to be there, but was not able to be there. And I made this connection, I think, in the last um, episode where you just talk about that's very similar to where we are right now. There's literally some people we cannot go see physically. Mm-hmm. We're not able to go and visit and not able to see in church for various reasons. And that's something where what a joy it is to get those small little nuggets where someone calls. Like, for example, someone called me and said, Pastor, I'm reading my I'm doing pearls of prayer every day. You know, yeah. something along those lines, or I get yeah. down with a service and my uncle who lives a couple hours away says, oh, I, I worship with you this morning. You know, good, great job. <laughs> you know, it's kind of what uncles and family yeah. does to their <laughs> to their families and yeah. family members who are pastors. But hey, great job. And you're like, well, hopefully uh, you repented and forgiven. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of that joy that comes from those simple stories you hear from somebody else. So, yeah, it's not not ideal. It wasn't ideal for Paul. What great comfort it was to hear of the ministry that was still happening there. So let's yeah, move on because now we get to some really fun stuff. Um, really, I mean, it's all fun, but now we get to some <laughs> talking about repentance and godly grief and worldly grief. So let's let's yeah. read uh, verses eight through twelve. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, <laughs> though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief that you suffered no loss through us. You know, I think I want to. I, I think I want to stop there for a moment. So, yeah. what, what's Paul saying here? What is he saying? Yeah. Uh, so, kind of going back to being a parent, right? You you discipline your kids, and you you have to come down on them, and it it feels awful. You don't like doing it. But you you have to do it, and you do it because you love them. And so Paul says, you know, if I made you grieve in my letter, I don't really regret that. Uh, I kind of felt bad about it, but um, I actually rejoice, not because you were grieved, not because you felt bad, but because you were grieved into repenting. So mm-hmm. he doesn't want them to feel bad for the sake of feeling bad. He wants them to feel bad so that they turn in repentance. They receive 
reconciliation. They receive forgiveness. They are restored in Christ. And uh, so he says, you know, for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. Uh, So Paul's letter made them feel grieved, and he kind of was feeling bad uh, about having to do that, but he doesn't regret doing it because it's exactly what was needed for them to repent and to receive forgiveness and to be restored. And that's what makes it so interesting here, because I said this in the intro, is to have joy. He says it again, I rejoice, be, not because you were grieved, you know, I don't, I'm not, I'm not happy because you feel bad, but because you were grieved into repenting. The yeah. joy of repentance, and this is something I probably don't talk about enough, but hmm. um, the joy of repentance. Why would there be joy in repentance? <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> when you, for, when you repent, that weight is lifted off of you. You get absolute forgiveness. You don't have to bear that burden any longer. And uh, there's joy in walking in the ways of the Lord. And there's joy in receiving forgiveness won for us by Christ. Uh, This is one of the gifts that the church has in uh, individual confession and absolution, that there is this opportunity that God gives to us when we're feeling burdened by our sin, we're feeling the weight of our sin, we can come in, we can confess that sin. And, and what do we hear? We, we don't hear, well, uh, you can be forgiven if you try a little bit harder. You got to do better. Uh, we, 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 what do we hear? We hear your sins are forgiven, right? The end. Your sins are forgiven, and they are. And, and there, is, there is a burden lifted. There is genuine, absolute forgiveness that is actually delivered there. And so your sin is no longer on your shoulders. Christ has taken it. And that's what the small catechism says, too, that the the special authority that God has given to his church is to, on earth, is to forgive the sins of repentant sinners. Mm -hmm. So we know when there is repentance that the forgiveness of Christ comes streaming in, almost like a... In Romans five, it talks about the that the that the love would pour into your hearts. It's like this this wonderful pouring of forgiveness over us. And I want to I want to move forward a little bit before we go too far into that. Um, is because in ten through twelve, it kind of gives us a distinction of the grief that we feel as Christians and the grief mm-hmm. that we feel in the world. And I think that's right. an important piece before we go too far. So ten through absolutely. 12, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For we see foresee what earnestness this godly grief has produced in us, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent in the matter. So though I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, not for the sake of the ones who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. So we'll stop there in verse 12. Now he talks about godly grief, and I would say he talks about worldly grief. One leads to salvation, one leads to death. Any thoughts on the distinction there? Yeah, this is huge. Uh, Godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Worldly grief produces death, because worldly grief is simply feeling bad, 
feeling grieved, feeling the weight of what you have done and what, what can you do about it. There is nothing you can do to fix it. And so that burden just crushes you. But godly grief, when you feel, oh, man, yeah, I've sinned. I, I, I failed to do what God would have me do, or I've done what God would not have me do. What does it do? It leads to repentance. So we, we go, we know where to go with it. We go to Jesus, and Jesus unburdens us. He forgives us. He takes that sin, and he says, it's not yours anymore. It is mine. Your sins are forgiven. And so that leads to, that leads to salvation. Whereas the person that doesn't have the, uh, you know, Christ to, to grant that forgiveness, you, that burden just remains on you. And it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And it, it crushes you. And, and so worldly grief, it, there's nothing good that comes of it. But godly grief, when you understand my, your sin, you know where to go with it. You go to Jesus. And there is salvation. It says in the solid declaration of the former Concord, Article 5, Law and Gospel, it talks about, mm -hmm. so that despair does not develop out of the sorrow or terror of the law, the proclamation of the gospel must be added to it, so there may be sorrow that leads to salvation. Yeah. And that's exactly what, I mean, it's just beautifully written here, and then understanding of law and gospel. And I, I try to explain this, um, to teach this to myself, probably even more so, but also confirmands and others, is that the church, the essence of the church is that understanding of what do I do with the guilt that I hold? And what you do with the guilt that you hold is there is one place you can get forgiven, and that's in Christ, and we will give that to you. Um, mm -hmm. and, th and that's something that I think the church, because you hear this language of, well, that's, that's a Catholic guilt. Or at my first church, they, were, they kept telling me, well, this is like Lutheran guilt. And I was like, I don't understand. I mean, I'm, not to say I don't feel guilty, but I've never distinguished it with our theology. <laughs> Right. And right. so it's interesting how we'll say that. Well, that that's Catholic guilt or that's Lutheran guilt. And yeah, and really, we shouldn't make that distinction at all because if it has to do with the church, it's uh, we know what to do with it. We're all going to have guilt, but we're going to do with it. Put it at the, the feet of Christ and he graciously and lovingly forgives. Any last yeah, thoughts on it, that? Is it guilt that's brought about by the word of God or is right. it guilt that is brought about because of some other external thing? that is you know, not commanded by God, not demanded by God. Uh, and I think that's a necessary distinction. Good point. Yeah, is it? Yeah, right, exactly. That's, that's for us always remember that this points us um, to what God, and Paul says this, you know, I didn't feel guilty until I actually learned, learned, <laughs> the, you know, learned the word of God and found out I was, yeah. and then you know what to yeah. do with it. And he right. shows examples of how this godly grief has manifested. So I did not write for you the sake of the one who did the wrong. Um, I sort of learned a few things on that. It could have been the sinful man they talked about in 1 Corinthians 5. If it's mm -hmm. a different person, it might have been the f sinner to forgive in 2 Corinthians 2. Either way, that he's showing that this is working. I mean, godly grief is happening. This is why he's comforted. It was not mm -hmm. for, the, for them, not for the sake of the one who suffered the wrong, meaning you know, that God not only forgives our sins, but forgives the sins that are done to us as well. And that's a powerful distinction, too, to remember about forgiveness but in order that the earnestness might be seen and revealed to you and in the sight of God, which I think we point that clearly here to the completion with forgiveness of sins. Last thoughts on verses 10 through 12, Pastor? 
Yeah, and, and, and I love what Paul says there. I didn't write this for the sake of the one who did the wrong, nor for the sake of the one who suffered wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Uh, so it was kind of like Paul saying, uh, I, I knew God was going to bring this repentance about in you. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's do this. We have about six minutes left. Let's finish off these readings and we can wrap it up and see what's all, all here. So verses 13 until the end, verse 16. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoice still more at the joy of Titus, because the spirit has been, re has been refreshed by you all. For whatever boast I made to him about you, I was not put to shame. But just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved true. And his affection for you is even greater, as he remembers the obedience of you all. How you received him with fear and trembling, I rejoice because I have perfect confidence in you. So here, it's almost a, it's not a secular um, talk here, but he is talking about this is how you affected Titus, um, and this reflects the pride idea, it reflects all of that. What are your thoughts on when he speaks about the comfort and the refreshment that they received um, with Titus and also for Paul? Now you can see the fruit of the Holy Spirit here, can't you? Mm -hmm. This congregation that previously had been divided, fighting, um, you know, selfish, what are they doing here? They're, they're refreshing Titus. And in refreshing Titus, they uh, bring this refreshment to Paul. Uh, and it's, it's amazing to see. Uh, but this is, the, this is what God has brought about in Corinth by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, he has this uh, joy because of the, the congregation that had previously had him pulling his hair out. Uh, and it, it's amazing to see, but it's, it's what God does. And, and, I, and I, love, I love the end there, that I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. you he knows what kind of a mess they were. <laughs> he knows the things that were going on in, in Corinth. And he says, I, I have complete confidence in you. And I, I think, again, it's partially this, this you know, fatherly kind of a talk, right? Uh, I, I'm proud of what you've done, and I, I know you're going to keep doing this. Uh, but it's also confidence in the Holy Spirit being at work in them and through them and knowing what he has started, he's going to continue to bring about. And this points me a little bit to the Eighth Commandment, you know, explain everything in the kindest way um, and mm -hmm. how we speak about others and how important that is. But I, it goes beyond that. Like, that's my first thought. But then it goes beyond that because it isn't it doesn't appear that Paul is, quote, buttering them up. Like, um, no, this no. isn't really true, but this is what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. But he's definitely showing what I said to Titus about the joy of you. Um, Titus comes back and says, you are exactly right. And then to see the refreshment and the joy in Titus brought joy and comfort to him where he's able to say, wow, this was not me at all. This was God's work working in God in people's lives. And so it really is a, is a good reminder for us on how we um, speak about one another, but also a testament to take, maybe take a step back and to see how God is at work in, in people's lives. Any last thoughts on that? Yeah, there's a great line from from 
um, Bonhoeffer's life together. It says the, the Christian in exile is comforted by a brief visit of a Christian brother, a prayer together, and a brother's blessing. Indeed, he is strengthened by a letter written by the hand of a Christian. And, and that's what Paul's experiencing here, this, this encouragement. So he's been able to give that to them. They're giving it to him. And Titus, in, in both situations, is, is giving that refreshment and receiving that refreshment. And so I think, I think this is a wonderful reminder for us when things are difficult in the parish, when, when things are difficult in our congregations, whether it's as lay people or as pastors, there are those rough stretches. Every congrega- congregation goes through it where things are harder, where it's a grind, where you, you kind of wonder, well, <laughs> what's God even doing here? Is God even at work here? And yes, God is at work there, right? Be patient with each other. Uh, you know, be, be ready to forgive, ready to ask for forgiveness, ready to repent. And God is going to continue to be at work, and he will bring about those wonderful fruits of faith. Uh, and, and I think we need that reminder from time to time, being able to go to Second Corinthians 7 and go, see, see the change that happened here? This is so much different than things were just earlier in the spring in Corinth. So stick with your congregation, uh, encourage each other, be there for each other. And for that, we can rejoice. Pastor Ben Meyer of Hope Lutheran in Sunbury, Ohio, helping us today in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, pointing us to the rejoicing of Paul, and therefore we can rejoice. Pastor Meyer, thank you for being our guest. Very good to be with you. God's blessings to you. I'm your host, Brady Finner and Pastor Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Be joyful. The Lord is bearing fruit in repentance and pointing us to the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Thank you for joining us and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands.